Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor for HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides thoughtful conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace with experts, leaders, and changemakers in the space. Today's episode is a very special one. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. LaSharon Wiley, Vice President of Corporate Culture at Innisfree Hotels. Dr. Wiley brings real-world DEI experience, years of academic muscle in the study and science of DNI, and more than two decades of experience as a successful manager and leader in higher education. Dr. Wiley, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Okay, well, let's just dive right into it, shall we? Yes. What's your definition of having a seat at the table? Thank you for, I think that's a wonderful question. And for me, having a seat at the table means being able to be a part of the conversation and having my voice heard and acknowledged. It represents the opportunity to be heard and to make a difference. There is assumed power at that table, the assumed power to influence uh, and affect outcomes. What I bring to the table should be information that is credible, where others at the table can trust that I know what I'm talking about. So I guess what I mean by that statement is, do know what you're talking about, do your research and represent yourself well. But however, all too often being at the table isn't as transparent as it might seem. Mm -hmm. There are often subtle power dynamics in play at the table And then there are also those conversations that take place away from the table. Those conversations that are really not carried out at the table might occur occur at the golf course or when two people choose to ride together in a car to a meeting. And those conversations might often exclude those who are newcomers or those not historically included in such conversations. This can result in feelings of marginalization and isolation. So for me, it's also being aware that when we do those things, when we take conversations away from the table, when we stifle the voice at the table, being at the table then and the power that we can exude is minimized. Absolutely. And beautifully said. Uh, Thank you for that. You were recently profiled in our uh, one of our diversity and inclusion uh, features, which, of course, I have a link to in this uh, podcast as well. So be sure to click on that after you listen to this. But what I love, Dr. Wally, one of the statements that you said in there, you said it is not enough for team members to be at the table. They must feel that the dish they bring to the table will be tasted, even if the dish is not the usual fare. Yes. Tell you when I, well, one, when I read that as a wordsmith, I got chills. So thank you. Because that was beautiful. But could you please elaborate on that? Absolutely. And I'm glad to do so. For me, this statement refers to the need for everyone at the table to listen with open minds and hearts. Mm -hmm. It's not just about being able to hear it, it's also about being able to feel it and internalize it. Um, So you want to listen with open minds and hearts to what all team members have to say. Perspectives and experiences differ. So the new person at the table might challenge the process. And 
uh, the way things have always been done. Mm -hmm. We get so comfortable in saying we've always done it that way, that hey, that your way of doing things may not have worked for everyone. So we want to be asking questions that would be inclusive and um, cause the conversation to expand. And so the new person at the table might be challenging you to look at way at this this whole dynamic in a whole different way. So you're going to look at the menu differently. Traditionally, I've always had surf and turf, but today I'm going to go south and have sweet tea. Okay, so. Even if the new table members' uh, ideas challenge the process, as we just said, the uncomfortableness needs to be explored. So yes, it'll make some people uncomfortable. That's okay, because it is often in the messiness of intense conversations that change, learning, and growth can occur. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that, because that literally is where my mind went. When you think of uncomfortability, or, or at least when I do, and I think of when a person, right, when I am uncomfortable, I know that I have a, a choice to stay where I am and can continue to be, what, essentially complicit and un un uncomfortable to make others comfortable, but no change is going to happen, right, until you take action. That's right. Just as you said beautifully, in that messiness, that's where change actually takes place. And that profile as well that you had, you also noted that you had experienced the challenges of distorted perspectives and framing firsthand at an early point in your career. I think that's something that we don't hear often enough that we're not talking about. When you talk about diversity, inclusion and belonging, belonging, excuse me, and equity, I believe that just like if you want to make change in your own personal life, you have to have a mindset makeover. That's it. How important is it for HR leaders and organizations today to recognize and critically evaluate their own distorted perspectives, how they frame conversations around DEI, um, as well as the lenses that they look through? I have to tell you, this is probably the most important question you've asked, at least as, as I see it. It's critical. It's just simply critical that we evaluate the lenses through which we frame conversations and make decisions. It is that lens that will distort the conversation, distort what we hear, what we see, what we perceive, and then we will act on that and make decisions. And those decisions are sometimes just not fair. Yes. So for me, uh, it's critically important and it should be something that's done really daily, but if not daily, at minimum weekly. So for me, I do it daily. And so some of the questions that I ask myself, because I understand that we're all learning and growing and we all have biases. So I ask myself this question, what lens am I looking through in this situation? Is it my age? Is it my gender? Is it my region of the country? Is it my race? Is it my education? Is it my lived experiences? So once I look through all those parts of who I am, I then ask myself, am I being fair in my assessment or are these intervening variables that I just mentioned, are they affecting my decision? 
are they affecting my decisions? Sometimes they are. So I have to step back and say to myself, wait a minute, I've never met Ms. Heron before. Uh, why am I responding this way? What's going on inside? So examining self is so important. Then I have to be trusting enough to say, okay, I'm feeling that I'm not being as objective as I would like to be. So someone who, whom I trust, I want to then vet with that someone, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And ask for an authentic response. And when I get that authentic response, I have to accept it and not reject it. I had the experience, and that may have been in that article that I did for you earlier, where a colleague of mine said, you don't like that person. And I thought, hmm, there's very few people I don't like, so what's going on here? So I had to examine why was I giving, giving the impression that there was somebody I didn't like being around? What was going on with me? And once I was able to examine that, I was able to do better. I was able to answer what was uh, happening with me. So I think just number one, recognizing it. Number two, evaluating self and making the change. And then number three, if I'm not able to make the change without input, get the input from a respected mentor. Yeah, beautifully Thank said. You. Absolutely. In that profile, you mentioned two other examples, actually, and it's totally fine with what you said. That was amazing as well. So let's add on to that, right? I also loved in that profile, you said that you were um, employed in higher education. And of course, mm -hmm. at, at that time, your focus on diversity and inclusion became, became clearer, excuse me. Uh, and you wanted to help ensure that students had the opportunity to explore and appreciate differences while providing a platform for discourse about topics that are often avoided or not authentically discussed. And my favorite line here in this quote, it was important for students to know that all people matter and that not feeling valued hurts. Yes, yes. And now while reading that, even though I said it, reading that um, gives me chills because yeah. when we think about the whole idea of belonging and we think about Maslow, when we don't feel like we're valued and included and belong, yeah. it just sets up an environment that it's painful to be in. We don't want to go to the work environment because we don't feel like we're a part of the team. And this hurts at a level that's really hard to explain, except when you feel it. When yeah. you feel it, you know what it feels like to be an outsider. And it's, I sometimes say, like when you walk into a room and you're brand new, you don't know any of the people in the room, people are chatting, nobody's making you feel welcome. You walk up to a group and they sort of turn their backs, um, not welcoming you to join the conversation. Then you walk away thinking, this isn't where I belong. And that's what some of us go through daily in our workplace. Absolutely. Uh, that brings to mind the conversation I've been hearing a lot about and having myself uh, with other interviewees about uh, bringing your adapted self to work versus your authentic self. Mm -hmm. And I've shared, of course, as a, as a woman, as a person of color, uh, mm -hmm. that intersection, 
I often have not felt that I can bring my authentic self to work. Mm-hmm. Of course, thing, and I'm certainly uh, grateful to be in a position now where I do feel like I can bring my authentic self to work. Awesome. Having said all of that, do you have anything to add about that uh, authenticity in the workplace? Absolutely. And I think it was W.B. Dubois who talked about double consciousness. Um, And today we use different words, but it's the same thing that being that I am in my community, in my safe spaces, and the being that I am in the workspace and how that becomes uh, double. It's double consciousness and the fact that I have to consciously respond in this way to be accepted in the workspace, and then I can be myself in other spaces. I, like you, am fortunate in that I have landed in the briar patch, to speak as Bro <laughs> Rabbit did. Um, I am in a very good place where I can challenge what I see, that I can say it. That is actually part of my job is to say, hey, when this happened, I felt this way so that we can begin to have that dialogue, uh, conversations and words that people use. Even inclusive language is so important. All of those things for us to be able to say it without fear of being fired or marginalized or ignored or made fun of. So part of what I'm doing with the leadership team has to do with that whole idea of where did this word uh, originate? Why would I see it in a way that's different from the way that you see it? For instance, peanut gallery is uh, one word we've explored. Another word we've looked at is grandfathered in. What does that really mean? And why would it... uh, be a problem for me. So I think that when we know better, we have the tools to do better. I love it. (laughs) Chills. Chills there. How can HR leaders and organizations rework their company culture to make it more inclusive, especially with that inclusive language? That's, That's just an excellent question. So first, I believe that leadership must demonstrate in their behaviors and attitudes that they are excited, first of all, about the work that they do and that that, that they're committed to creating um, an inclusive environment where all people matter and feel valued. And when that happens, what you'll see is a trickle-down effect to the rest of the organization. Now, beyond that intentionality of demonstrating and modeling the way, uh, we want to be intentional also about meeting the needs of the workforce. So one of the things that can happen is to survey, to ask team members what it is that they need so that they will feel engaged and excited. So once you get the responses, you want to make sure that you take action. For example, if you ask the survey question that says, what would you like to see the company do better? And you get back um, the answer from a lot of people that says, we want more clear and effective communication. Now, the next step is not to just have the information and take no action. What you want to do is ask, dig deeper. Well then, um, what are the misses? What suggestions do you have to improve the communication process? And then you want to ask them, are you willing to work with the team to improve and implement these new ideas? By engaging team members in the conversation, 
you're getting buy-in from your team, you're asking them to help make the company company-wide communication more effective. And it shows that leadership listened, that we value the feedback, and now we've created a team approach to resolve a problem. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And I, of course, love uh, you talking about engagement and productivity, excuse me, uh, with employees, because, of course, as we've seen the past, what, I don't even think we can say 18 months anymore, two years almost now, COVID, (laughs) since Mm -hmm. it's, you know, unfortunately now a way of life and it's completely just upended everything and affected everything. Coupling, coupling that with the fact that over the last two de- decades, the industry itself, HR, has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but COVID has forced, right, and expedited yes. a lot of changing changes, uh, including culture. Uh, and for many, acknowledging that, you know, workforces are made up of human beings, not robots, you know. Right. So in today's climate, what does it mean to have an excited, engaged and productive workforce and What does it take to cultivate that kind of workforce? Well, I think that one of the things that we're seeing is that um, we want to make sure that in the workforce that we are flexible. When you talk about COVID and its impact on the family and on that individual as a member of a biological or marriage relationship or other relationship, as opposed to the work environment, we need to be flexible and just are and ask the question, is the business that I'm in, are we flexible enough to allow employees to be able to work at home? If they can't do it full-time, are we able to accommodate them part-time? Then we wanna invite ideas to the table. What are the team members' ideas about what they would like to see? Then we want to provide additional uh, opportunities for employees to engage with an impact. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, maybe what we want to do is say, we are saying this, but now we're going to do things in the community. So as an organization, perhaps we'll participate in a local event that serves the community, such as building a house through Habitat for Humanity or feeding the homeless, participating in a uh, cancer war. And we also want to, once, once the team members are excited about what the company is doing, leadership driven by them saying, we're gonna do this, and then allowing time off, paid time off so that people can participate. And then we wanna look at that individual to say, hey, We like what you're doing. You're doing great work. We want to work with you to develop a growth plan within this organization. We see the potential for you. So let's work together to do your growth while also growing the company. And another thing that's important is to provide ongoing training. Doesn't have to be something elaborate, but we do need to invest in our employees so that they continue to grow. Another thing that's for me of tremendous uh, value is to do cross across departmental training. Mm. And I am not saying that I am in culture and I expect to go over and do accounting. I do not. Right. But at minimum, I want to be aware of what is it that accountants do. 
uh, how might I help with uh, the job that I do to ensure that what they're doing is made easier, that I'm not uh, acting in a way that causes them additional stress. So that kind of training where I'm fully aware of what everybody does and what my role is in all of this company-wide. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Beautifully, again, said, and absolutely necessary, too, with that cross-training. Cross excuse me, I get excited when I speak fast. When you when you know what everyone does, uh, you're all on the same page, you're working in tandem, and honestly, there really should be, for the most part, right, um, any friction. Uh, what do you see, HR corporate, corporate culture headed? Well... Wow, I'll tell you, uh, I'll say, I know that we mentioned earlier intentionality. So I believe companies are really becoming more intentional in their hiring processes. And if they're not, they should be implementing strategies to foster inclusion. For instance, as you said, I'm vice president of corporate culture. So I actually go out to every employee throughout all our properties to train them on what the expectations are so that everybody knows exactly what's expected of them. I'm also creating a workbook so that our team members can refer to that and actually have examples in the workbook because we know in order to sustain a sense of inclusion and foster foster that, we have to have a way of sustaining it. So we can't have a one and done idea because that's not going to work. We want to, we are providing training on relevant social issues. We are active in the community and calling on community partners who are business owners to also help us to change our communities because it's not just about where we work and the work that we're doing, but it's it's about our communities and then expanding beyond that. So supporting existing organizations in the work that they do. For instance, yesterday, our CEO and president of Industry Hotels, uh, along with two of us who are vice presidents, were in the community making a donation, one of the local efforts to feed, feed homeless people. And this is an initiative that's been going on for 20 years. So we don't have to... Uh, invent the wheel, we can just simply make sure that that wheel continues to roll. So uh, we want to be intentional about the economic divides that occur in our community. And so one of Innisfree's commitments is to make a difference in the community in which we live and serve. And we're doing that. And that model is one that can be adapted throughout the industry. Absolutely. Certainly phenomenal and amazing things. And of course, uh, amazing insight and, excuse me, best practice to tap uh, as well. My final question here uh, for you, Dr. Wally, is a a favorite thus far uh, that I'm having for everyone. What's on your heart? What's on my heart is hope. Hope. I feel hopeful because we are seeing difficult conversations being had in so many different places throughout America and indeed the world. Hope that change can occur. Hope that people are going to work toward that end. Hope that the people at the table will have all voices heard. And hope that when I bring something to the table, that you will at least be willing to taste it. Ooh, yes. 
Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm sorry. Again, just again, chills this whole conversation, but I'm so glad that you brought it back there. I was going to do that myself uh, because that's what it's about at the end of the day, right? Yes. It's one thing to have these conversations and to say all that we're saying and to express it. That's great. But if you're not willing to receive it, even if it's different, mm-hmm. well, you know, we're, we're out of luck, unfortunately. We're at an impasse, you know? Right. So I appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Wiley, I appreciate you taking the time to converse with me today. Thank you. Absolutely. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation just as much as I have. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, uh, honestly, where all things podcasts are and live. This is A Seat at the Table. I'm Bianca Heron, your host. Join us next time. We'll certainly have your seat waiting for you.